John, we had a seminal moment in women's sports and sports media. And the men played too, Andrew, with Jim Nance saying his goodbye to college basketball. One thing I learned through all of this is everybody has a dream and everybody has a story to tell. Just try to find that story. Be kind. You've told it better than most, let me tell you. Can I tell you one other thing? I mean this, not to try to play off hello friends, but to you, everybody in the college game, my CBS family, my family, all the viewers, thank you for being my friend. And we're back. I'm Andrew Marchand, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. John, big story. Jim Nance says goodbye on Monday. He'll be the lead voice on the Masters this weekend. Uh, and so let's get to it. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? All right, Andrew, I've been waiting. I can't wait to start uh, who's up this week. My who's up? Adley Rushman, of course. Did what? you see how he started the season for the Orioles? He reached base in his first seven plate appearances. Third player in Major League history to go five for five with multiple RBIs on opening day. John, you want media. People want media. I got people texting me during the week. Friend of mine, Mark After, big listener. He's saying uh, Oran's going to be uh, insufferable. Insufferable. Uh, the, uh, by the way, the other two, uh, Billy Herman, Hall of Famer, and somebody you might have heard of, Babe Ruth. All right, let's go. Bound. Media, who's up? Come on, let's go. We want media. <laughs> right, so in, in more seriousness, um, my who's up for the week is Patricia Lowry. He's a vice president of production at ESPN and has really overseen all of the growth that the women's tournament has seen that really just came to a head uh, the, uh, over this past weekend. Andrew, a big theme of this podcast since we started has been about the rise of women's sports as a TV property. I mean, I've talked over the past year with many bankers, with venture capitalists, and I can tell you, they all view women's sports as a good bet, as something with a ton of room to, to still grow. Uh, people who have supported women's sports have always said, if you build it, fans will come. Well, you know, the women's tournament, it just proved that. From start to finish, it was by far much more exciting than the men's tournament. The, the women's tournament highlighted stars. There were Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. There was Kim Mulkey and Don Staley. The, the, the storylines were great. It dominated social media. And it's not just basketball. And it's not just a tournament. The NWSL is expanding into the Bay Area with a franchise that's valued at $53 million. CBC Capital Partners, it put $150 million into the WTA, uh, the, the tennis group. So enough with the talk about the potential for women's sports. It's here. It's really here. And the women's tournament media rights, they come up after next season, and that's going to be another huge moment and another huge step for this part of the business. Now we're going to get into that more first topic. All right, my who's up is CBS's Jay Wright. Uh, Wright, who joined CBS and Turner Sports uh, for this tournament, his first one. Uh, he was excellent. Not surprising. Uh, you know, the thing about the crew, you got Clark Kellogg in there either Greg Gumbel or Ernie Johnson uh, as 
the host. And then you have Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley, you know, those two, you know, obviously part of the iconic inside the NBA. Barkley can talk about almost anything. And it's interesting at the end of the game, the other day, at the end of the final four, he's talking about somebody behind the scenes who he met. He's going to meet up again in Florida for his final comment. I don't, it was somehow entertaining, even though it had nothing to do with really the tournament. But the thing about Wright is that he has, I'm going to show my age a little bit, that EF Hutton quality. When he talks, you listen. You want to know what he's going to say about in-game adjustments and what he dissects. He's just off the floor uh, from Villanova. Uh, so he really has that, you know, near-term experience in terms of being on a college sideline. Uh, and I thought he was excellent. And so, uh, you know, I kind of knew it when they made the move for CBS and Turner, bringing in Jay Wright, and it proved out uh, a good move for for Wright. EF Hudding getting a shout-out on the podcast. I did not have that on my bingo card this week, Andrew. I'll, I'll go straight into who's down. Twins owner Joe Polat. Diamond Sports, which owns all the Bally Sports RSNs, is late on its rights payments to the Guardians and the Twins. Well, we all knew about the Guardians. Bally executives, they've complained about that deal for a long, long time. But not paying the Twins, that was a surprise. The Twins are due to make around $40 million per year, and Diamonds, they, they still have two weeks to pay. It's a grace period without penalty. One reason for not paying the Twins, their deal is up after this season, and the team has shown no willingness whatsoever to engage with Diamond on a new one. So the big question is, what happens if Diamond doesn't pay it within the grace period? And none of the answers are good for the Twins, or the Guardians for that matter. Uh, Diamonds in bankruptcy, so nobody knows the answer to that, but MLB and the Twins firmly believe that the rights will revert back to the team and MLB is going to come in, produce the games, and distribute them. Uh, so fans will still get to watch, but it, it certainly means that the Twins, a small market team in a sport that's dominated by big market teams, is going to have even less revenue coming in this year because of the missed payment. John, my who's down, Keith Oberman, Dave Portnoy, and Harry Douglas. Douglas is of ESPN. Uh, the reason is, is what we saw after the whole Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark taunting controversy that exploded on Twitter. Let's talk about Twitter for a moment. When you're on Twitter and your personality, you're on the air. There's no difference. When you say something, you're saying it publicly. You're saying it like you're on the air. Now, you look at what Oberman said. He said he called Reese uh, a effing idiot. Portnoy called her a piece of SH, you know, the rest. Uh, and then the whole thing turned into a race issue. And so, number one, you know, Oberman's been outspoken forever. Um, he's on the liberal side. Uh, Portnoy, you know, his, he, he doesn't, there's no line for him. He, you know, he'll go after people, uh, men and women. But my problem is, is the language that you're using there, right? It's a 20 year old woman that you're calling a piece of S uh, and an effing idiot. Um, what are we doing here? So now let's bring it to Harry Douglas. Douglas, if you don't know, he co-hosts an ESPN radio show. And um, Jesus Ortiz, uh, who happens to be a good buddy of mine, former Met writer who I, you know, we became good friends when we were on the Met beat together. He told him, STFU, because Jesus had an opinion saying that uh, Reese was classless for how she taunted. He didn't use any bad words or anything. His opinion was fine um, to have. Uh, but 
if you don't know somebody, and even if you did know somebody, would you tell them to STFU? If Harry Douglas was on ESPN, a caller called in, would he tell him to STFU? I don't think so. And then to make the assumptions about Jesus, I mean, I'm not going to go over Jesus's full resume or anything like that, but he has a platform called R Esquina, um, which means our corner of the sports world. And it's doing well. And it's a, it does documentaries, uh, shows, and all kinds of media trying to lift up Latino voices. And there, you get more into his background, but it's like doth protest too much if you get into this. But the, the point being is when you're, again, Portnoy, you know, he he has made a living of being aggressive and and strong. I actually think if he just made his points without saying, you know, calling her a piece of SH, then I think, uh, you know, there are some points that there were some nuances to it. But the problem with all of this and the problem with social media is that everyone just gets so loud and nobody can hear each other. And so like you have to understand that we that everybody doesn't hear things or see things the same way. And we don't listen to each other at all and don't hear what we're saying. There's no getting to a better spot and it just turns into yelling and name calling. And maybe, you know, Twitter is obviously not the place to do it, but my <laughs> point overall cuz it's a media podcast is when you're on Twitter, you're on the air. So anybody who is talking on Twitter, if you would say something you would never say on the air, you probably should delete the tweet. Uh, and so that's what I would say. I'm not saying Portnoy or Oberman especially wouldn't say those things on the air. They, you know, they've used language like that before. But again, you're talking about 20-year-old women in, in Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. If they're 20-year-old men, it'd be the same thing. It's not one or the other. It's just that type of language. Would you say that to somebody's face? Uh, and then Douglas, same thing. I mean, would you say that to somebody's face for that you didn't even know because they had an opinion that was different than yours? So to me, those are my who's down. Next, going to lead us into the first topic, which is the NCAA Women's Tournament. And I'm going to take a little bit of the other side of the uh, coin uh, of you. And I don't disagree with your opinion, but the fact that David Portnoy and Keith Olbermann are tweeting about something that happened in the Women's Tournament, identify one of their tweets from the, the men's final. I can't think of one. I, you know, the, 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 this is showing the growth of, of women's sports. Embrace these these silly back and forths on Twitter about the game. Uh, the complaints that I saw about the officiating in the championship game, uh, the refereeing was atrocious. Uh, and and the, the complaints were going out on social media. Uh, that it just shows that the, the, the growth in the women's game, where it's, you know, it's being treated as a real uh, proper event, and five years ago, ten years ago, I, I I don't think I don't think that was the case really. Even though you, you did have established uh, stars like you know Diana Taurasi coming coming through and and things like that, I I think all of this noise is it's not helping to build it up because it's already there, but it's 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 uh, cementing the fact that the the women's tournament has a place in in the American sporting lexicon right now. Now, John, look, it's a good thing that everyone was watching and talking about uh, the women's NCAA tournament. Uh, this is what we talked about at the top in the opening. This was a seminal moment for women's basketball. It starts with Caitlin Clark, um, and she got a lot of attention, which I could see annoying other teams, especially after they um, win, if you're LSU. The thing about Caitlin Clark, it's how she plays. That's why, to me, long-term, this could really have a huge impact on women's basketball when she goes to the WNBA. 
uh, either next year or the year after, uh, because it's how she shoots like Steph Curry. My favorite college player of all time was Chris Jackson, who later changed his name to Mahmoud abdul Um, But when he was Chris Jackson at LSU, he was so awesome to watch. He'd come down and just jack threes. Uh, and it was just like, you know, a couple of years ago, Phil Jackson uh, kind of got, I don't know, some younger people are like, he compared Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf to Steph Curry. And actually it was a good comparison. That's how um, Caitlin Clark, she's different like that. I mean, she's a better passer than than uh, Chris Jackson was in college. Um, but it, that the way she plays is why it's so fun to watch. I mean, I don't think, I think when people say she's the best player, you know, we can get into men and women. She's the best player in college uh, basketball. I mean, I don't know if that's technically true, right? Is she better than the men player? No, she's the most fun to watch in college basketball. That's definitive. Um, and so uh, that's what made this so interesting. And then going into next year, uh, I think there's a chance they could be in prime time uh, for the, for the finals. Even though I don't know if the number would be better, I checked in with a couple of people and they thought that actually the 330 start might have been pretty good for them because there's not much competition on Sunday afternoon. Uh, and if it was in prime time, it might it might have had a similar number. I mean, it wouldn't have been worse, but probably a similar number and maybe not, you know, another three to five million people. Uh, the refs stunk and that kind of hurt the game as well. Can you imagine if Iowa plays LSU next year? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a rivalry that that that's already started. You you know we you had Joe Biden inviting the the losing team for the first time ever to the uh to the White House, which uh, uh which Angel Reese then you know co- correctly in my opinion said you you can't do that. Yeah, that was like, ridiculous. I mean we don't want to get into politics on this show. That's not what we're doing here. So this is not a political statement. I actually think it's the one thing that we all can agree on. There's no way Iowa should be invited to the White House. They well lost. if you're Iowa you don't even want to go. Do you? you I don't want to go. And I mean, look, I, I hate when everything turns into either race or gender, but when they say that to a men's team, like if they lost here, why don't you come to the White House? I, I just don't, I don't know. It just didn't make any sense. These are competitive women who just play competitive games and one team won. And one of the rewards for winning is you get to go to the White House. The team that loses doesn't get to go to the White House. That was, that, that was a crazy comment to me. All right, I do want to get to the the men's tournament too, but uh, uh, first, I, I referenced this a little bit earlier. They have one more year with the SPN, the uh, NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament, where it's part of this bigger uh, package of NCAA title rights. So it's everything from uh, softball to volleyball to you know equestrian, and all of the NCAA championships are in this one big package of rights. Almost certainly after next season, I don't think they've actually made the final decision on it, but I I don't see a path forward where they don't take the uh, the women's tournament out of that package and try to sell it on its own. Uh, and I, I can tell you ESPN wants to keep it and there are plenty of other uh, areas. Can't you see CBS and Turner deciding that that would be a perfect complement to, to their men's uh, t- tournament as well? You can see NBC that wants to get in with the NBA wanting to, to, to be a part of it. I, uh, my expectation is that there's going to be a lot of noise and a lot of bidders that are going to be crawling around trying to get this. We've been talking a lot about the NBA rights deal for good reason. This is another rights deal that's going to be particularly important. Yeah. And very interesting. And we've been talking about this since we started this podcast about a year and a half ago about women's sports and the opportunity there, right? This isn't, you know, let's make it equal just to, you know, to, to try to uh, be fair 
this is something that has a capitalistic upside that who knows what it's going to be because I mean, quite honestly, I don't think you could watch that final four and not say that the women's was better than the men's. I mean, that I don't think I think that's without question. Maybe if you're a UConn fan, perhaps, you know, you'd say the men's was better. because <laughs> A lot of them the in Bristol. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. But I, yeah, I wouldn't say that it was like better than the men's. I don't like to get into that. I will say that it, it had more, more stars than the men. It had more storylines than the men. Uh, well, it, I wasn't it, saying the play was better. No, the play the men are better players. Like if they played the men played the women, the men would crush them. My point is, is the uh, the entertainment value was better in the women's game. The personalities were better. I mean, that's the other thing we get into. We talk about this with soccer. I get very passionate about it with soccer, but it's women's sports too. You have Ryan Rucco, Rebecca Lobo. You're at the game with your ESPN um, with your pregame show, and you, you do it all year. When you invest in these things and treat them with respect. It brings it up a level. That's why announcers are important because you feel the excitement when, you know, we have it later as a call of the week when Aruko um, does a homage to Dick Enberg with an oh my on a deep three. Um, that that brings up the game. And when you put the resources into it, it, it works and they should apply it. It's I, I, Volleyball is an opportunity in women's sports that's already we're kind of seeing growth. Um, there, there's just, there's a lot of opportunities to me where if you put and you treat the core audience with respect, it grows inward, outward, not the opposite. Can't try to, you know, bring in the people who aren't that interested already. You got to focus on the people who really love it. They'll spread the word. Um, and they've done a really good job ESPN with that. All right. Let's get into the men's tournament, which is almost the exact opposite of what we've been discussing uh, with the women's tournament. I mean, I felt bad for CBS and, and Turner executives. They had a, a final four of UConn and, uh, well, I guess my, UConn and Miami and then the, the uh, Cinderella's in the, uh, on the other end. San Diego State and Florida Athletic actually had a very entertaining final four game. It was an early game, doesn't, doesn't get a lot of viewers. And then UConn blew out my, Miami in a, kind of a, some, somewhat of an uninteresting game. And the final, of course, was it was never really close as well. What did you think about the presentation? Look, I've said for a long time, you know, Ian Eagle is going to be an um, upgrade over Jim Nance on play-by-play. I think you'll see uh, more out of Bill Raftery. I think Grant Hill will be more entertaining. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit weird because, you know, Jim Nance said goodbye uh this weekend and then he's going to be all over your tv this upcoming weekend with the masters so that was a little um strange and you know he talked about he wants to um when i broke the story last year uh he said he told me you know he wants to return home uh daddy's got to be home uh so he'll do that um you know this has been in the works for a couple of years he almost did it a couple of years ago uh but then uh, he, he wanted to be on CBS and then he thought Houston was the perfect setting. So now he'll go home for those extra few weeks. Um, and I don't, you know, look, he, the thing about Jim Nance on basketball, I think this is strong football. He's there. Like he's not, he's good. He's not to me great at it. Right. There's no real calls when he does these games. Like if you look at the big game winner um, on uh, Saturday, it was a little bit of a confusing call where he didn't think the scores were on the floor. Um, and then there's no real call at the end there. Andrew, let's let's let, let's let, listen to that call real quick. Taken on, and it's blocked. Pulled down by men. 
Spencer. They have the one timeout. Are they going to take it or not? They don't have their scorers on the floor. It's Butler with two seconds. He's got to put it up. And he wins it. He wins it with the jumper. A San Diego State miracle. So it was okay. But I think it's missing, like, the, the scores thing is confusing, right? As if uh, San Diego State didn't know who to have on the floor uh, with the timeout to go. Uh, what They didn't know what they were doing. So that was confusing. And then he doesn't necessarily accentuate. He never really has had that basketball vocabulary that he does. He just sort of commentates on the game and give you a lot of facts. He's a little more of a host than a game caller. Uh, that's why he works so well in the, the Masters. Yeah, and, and here's the thing about it is that when Jim Nance leaves the Masters, that's his thing. You know what I mean? That's Scully with baseball. That's Al Michaels um, with football. Uh, that's Marv on the NBA. You know, to me, this is something he's done for 32 years, um, which is a long time, and he deserves his credit. We gave him, I gave him a who's up last week, but it's, I don't know if it's ever been really that special in terms of the art of play-by-play, -play, which you kind of associate with longevity. Um, and so, uh, and you know, and, you know, the other day it wasn't, you know, he didn't want to make it about himself, but it there was a lot about a lot of tributes from CBS. Um, and then a lot of the focus from his partners, Raftery and Hill on him. So it's a weird little dichotomy. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the studio show, the pregame show. Uh, I couldn't agree more on Jay Wright. I think Jay Wright was a total breakout star. Uh, I w wanted to hear more of him. Uh, coming in, uh, I think one of the things about Turner uh, and CBS is Charles Barkley is the biggest star in sports TV, probably. And Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley, they, they're they part of probably one of the two best studio shows of all time in Inside the NBA. One of the reasons Inside the NBA is such a good studio show is because they know the NBA so well and the people in the players in the nba and the coaches in the nba and the referees in the nba they all know them on a on a on an nba level watching them on college they don't know the college game and so i'm going through uh you know the, the regular season listening to espn's announcers and fox sports's uh, studio hosts they understand the game and they know the players in in, in the game and they had they had clark kellogg Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley, and Jay Wright is sitting at the desk. I only wanted to hear from one of them, and 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 the you had, each of them had to get, you know, the, their little quips in, and it it just didn't work for me. I I hope that this experiment has run its course, and they can start to bring in people that are really dedicated to the college game and want to speak of the college game and know the college game. It was uh re really instructive to me, Andrew when they would have a coach on and the coach would interact with Jay Wright in a way they know each other like, like that. That's what uh, Charles and Kenny have when they, they're, they're on the, uh, the NBA side of things. I've grown a little tired of seeing them on the college uh, studio set. So I've grown the other way. Originally I would have been with you. Um, I think, look, I think a lot of times these network pregame shows are more about, having fun than getting real analysis. I think if you really want real analysis, you can go on the internet and there's a million places to read with in-depth stuff um, and video to watch. I think ESPN provides a lot of that as well. Uh, I think if you look at the nature of this agreement and Turner not having any college basketball during the year, they don't really have the tonnage to hire more people. 
right? That are really, you know, top people because the tournament's only um, for three weeks, right? And so they don't really have that. And this is where the CBS Turner thing, I think sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle has been over the 11 years or so that they've been doing it in terms of who the talent should be. And you're going to, Turner's going to want their people in there. CBS wants their people in there. And I actually kind of like Barkley. Now, I don't follow college hoops as much as I once do. And like the people don't like Barkley in that show. You know, most people do like it. You know, it's the best ever. But uh, some people don't. I have some friends who don't because they're big NBA fans. And I don't know. Those, those guys aren't watching every day. I mean, they do a segment. Can you name this player? I mean, they've done that <laughs> segment and they can't name NBA players. So I don't think that's what you're. So I find it entertaining. I think it can work. Um, is it perfect? No, but I think it's better than a lot. I, I think you take Barkley whenever you can. Um, and I think Kenny Smith, he, he they offer stuff. They see things in the game. It, it's not perfect. I think Jay Wright brings that though. Jay Wright's the, like you said, now you bring Jay Wright into that crew and, and Clark uh, Kellogg as well, but you bring Jay Wright into that crew and all right, let's get some real you know knowledge off the sideline. And that's a little bit different, but I don't know. I feel like Barkley and Kenny Smith can watch a game and see things and have opinions that I'm interested in hearing. Now, are they right? I don't know college hoops well enough these days to know if they're right or if they're always just way off on everything. But I, I, I've kind of it's grown on me. This is our soccer moment where you're the big soccer fan and I'm the casual fan. Like I'm a big basketball, a college basketball fan. It's way different than the NBA, so they're looking at it in a, in a, in a different way. Let's move on to uh, this weekend. We have the Masters which is going to be the first major championship where you are going to be putting pitting the live golfers against the PGA tour golfers. And my expectation level on this, Andrew, is that the, the viewership is, is going to uh, maybe not set records, but it's going to be up significantly uh, just based on, on, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Uh, if we get, you know, the thing about sports and, you know, we had Nick Khan from the CEO of WWE uh, last week, and I watched a little WrestleMania. I mean, WrestleMania is just basically a soap opera, right? That's what wrestling is. And the thing that we like about sports, too, is there's a soap opera aspect of it. And, uh, you know, Liv versus the PGA at the Masters. I mean, I think it makes the Masters bigger. Like, it would have been crazy to have banned the Liv golfers. Uh, this makes it more fun. This is the place or one of the places that they congregate together where you have the best players in the world. It really becomes um, different and a major. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think it will be fun to watch. And I, I don't, the tiger come from a couple of years ago. I don't think you're ever going to beat that, but I think there's going to be heavy interest depending what the leaderboard looks like going into Sunday. You know, they asked uh, CBS and ESPN executives if they're going to favor the PGA Tour golfers and give them more coverage uh, than the live golfers. And really anybody who understands TV, they're going to make decisions that are based on trying to bring in the most uh, number of viewers. And uh, and what brings in viewers? Tension. I would be really surprised, hugely surprised, if they did anything that didn't highlight a live golfer going up against a, a PGA Tour golfer. I, I think that this is... You know, uh, we we spoke about this in, in previous pods. Uh, the PGA Tour has had a really good start to the season, uh, rate, uh, especially TV ratings-wise, and just general interest. And I think it's all going to culminate in Augusta uh, this coming weekend. John, good points. Let's move on to our next topic. 
the WWE. We had their CEO, Nick Khan, on last week. We asked him about the sale. Uh, he he had, had interesting comments about that. And then, boom, Sunday night, story breaks. Uh, and then Monday, it's official. Uh, they got a huge deal. And I think from everyone I spoke to, uh, a really good one for all sides. And, and it makes a lot of sense. What do you, what do you think? We know how to time the big gets, Andrew, don't we? Uh, 100%. So the deal basically is that Endeavors uh, owns all of UFC, and they're going to take UFC, they're going to bring in WWE and create a new company that's based on uh, what what they call combat sports. Um, and and the, the, they have combat sports and entertainment, because uh, WWE obviously is scripted enter- entertainment. And uh, Endeavor, you know, the big Hollywood agency, is going to own 51% of it. WWE is going to own 49% of it. It's probably going to close at the end of the year. And there are a couple things to look to. look to. One is media rights, of course. WWE's media rights are coming up. Nick Khan uh, last week had a lot of interesting thing, things to say about the, the media rights going forward. Well, the UFC media rights are up a one year after the WWE media rights. And how they fashion a media rights deal that potentially... Uh, has both or how they use one against the other is going to uh, going to be interesting to see wwe uh in the raw series on monday night um is you know the most watched non-sports series on on uh, cable television i mean it it reliably gets a couple of million viewers every single week uh it does well on uh, fox on friday night in prime time as well the, the ufc has been credited for helping uh, ESPN Plus uh, sort of gain a lot of subscribers. So the UFC fan is a rabid fan, and if there's going to be UFC matches on ESPN Plus, that that's where they get a lot of uh, subscriptions from. from. Similarly, Peacock and, and, and WWE as well. I think what you're going to see with the WWE and something that uh, uh, Nick Khan talked about after the uh, after the sale was announced is everything outside of media rights from marketing to ticketing to, you know, again, they're, they're uh, joining endeavors. They're going to be scripted TV series. They're going to be potentially movies. They're going to be commercial endorsements. If you think you see a lot of the WWE now, get ready to see a lot more of the WWE and their wrestlers in, in the next several years. Well, look, and you have a lot of the biggest power players uh, in media. You know, first you have Vince McMahon and Dana White, you know, heading up the two organizations who have built those organizations and a little bit of mad men, uh, but they are uh, at the top of those food chains in terms of the WWE uh, and then UFC. But then if you look at the media minds, Ari Emanuel uh, and Mark Shapiro at WME, uh, Nick Khan, every, you know, we had tremendous reaction because you just tell he's like three or four steps ahead of a lot of people. Um, and you put all those minds together and they're going to have more information now because they're going to have both deals that can help them um, make deals. And I think the one thing, you know, I talked to Nick Khan, uh, as you did uh, after the deal was done. Um, and he said this a number of places, you know, they could have tried to do what they'll do with WME uh, and Endeavor uh, over a decade and and they might've been able to accomplish it. But now when you look at international rights, uh, Endeavor has people on the ground in Germany and England and who can, guide them instead of trying to build those relationships would it take would which would have taken time uh so does it grow globally it does i think one thing that i found you know i think that's interesting to watch and we asked him i think i asked him this question last week in terms of the model 
right? Um, they have a great relationship with Peacock. Uh, and WrestleMania this weekend was just if you had Peacock, you could watch WrestleMania, which he said has grown. And like someone like me, I wouldn't have bought it, right? So I watched some of it um, because I have Peacock. But ESPN and UFC have been very successful um, with what they've done with you have to subscribe to ESPN Plus, then you have to pay extra for the biggest events. Does that model now work? Uh, you talked to Mark Shapiro the other day, uh, who's the president of Endeavor, and he said, we're going to use the same playbook as we did with UFC. So that is something that in these next rights, I think might be possible where they change their strategy and say, all right, we can make more money uh, doing this way where you have to have this. We'll give you a lot with the subscription, but then if you want the big events, we're going to charge this much. Um, I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. I just think that's more in play. And one other thing, now, all these people have relationships with all the different networks. So it's not just like there's one. But I do think this puts ESPN and Disney even more in play. I think last time they came close to getting it. I don't think there's really an issue with the content of WWE. They already have UFC. So it's not like, you know, is this Disney enough? I don't think that's an issue. And I just think um, the relationships that are there, um, I think I could see that potentially WWE ending up, at least in some form, probably multiple partners like they have now, but in some form on ESPN. ESPN loves the UFC. As, as we said before, it, it helped drive ESPN Plus, and it's a relationship that they really do want to continue. We always talk about who falls above that line as must-have or, or nice-to-have. I think they view UFC as pretty close to must-have because uh, the, the, thanks to the ESPN Plus. But, Andrew, we're leading out the headline of this. Uh, Vince McMahon going on CNBC. What do you think of the mustache? Little like Clark Gable look there. I almost tweeted out like, you know, they just made a deal. I don't know what they say, twenty one billion dollar company or something, and everyone's just going to talk about Vince McMahon's new look. Uh, that's <laughs> how it works. Um, and then, you know, we had Nick Khan on last week, and you know, he seemed to have all the moves. And we mentioned, you know, the three sixteen series. Uh, and then you get in the mail, you know, and they sent us. Uh, here, let me pick it up here. For people on video, uh, the Marshan 316 and Orient 316. Um, I didn't even notice the skull in the back. I don't know the skull in the back. That's just a Stone Cold Steve. Uh, that's a Stone Cold thing. All right. I, I, but anyway, it's very nice. Chris Legentle, Uh That was nice of him to send that. Uh, Marshan and Orient 316. I, that could be a thing um, in the future. I told them. I did taxes and thanks. I said, listen, if you sell these, I get 90% of the process. <laughs> Split 90 10. They start selling those. My, gonna... my son has already blamed mine, so I'm I'm, I'm going to be be without. Yeah, well, you know what? You need like one of your other kids to wear mine, and then they have to stand next to each other for all day. All right, Stone Cold Stunner here, Andrew. We're at the end of the podcast. It's time for us to go to the call of the week. Call of the week. John, Caitlin Clark did not win the national championship, but she was the biggest reason the ratings were so high. Uh, and I talked about earlier, it helps to have the broadcast level high. Um, and this is at the beginning of the national championship, Ryan Rucco, he helped to do that. Uh, when uh, Clark came out and had a ridiculous, I don't know, 35 footer. Here's the call. Little Dick Enberg here from uh, Rucco. Didn't want them to think there was 10. Clark. Welcome to the national championship game. 
that was a great call, Andrew. I, I really like the way Ryan Rucco calls those games. He is a true believer. So I think Rucco is somebody, as you help to build a sport or help to build an event like the NCAA Women's Tournament, you need people like Rucco, former big get Rebecca Lobo in the booth. And they, they, they obviously get along well together. They have really good chemistry. I think they call a good game. And something that uh, Rebecca Lobo said when she was on our pod, you know, I like how she steps back and gives uh, Rucco a chance to make his own calls. Well, if you think about it here in New York, uh, Knicks and Nets uh, next year, you know, Mike Breen's done uh, more finals than anybody. I think he's approaching his, he'll be his 18th in June. He does the Knicks here in New York. Then on the Nets, this is the Yes Network, they got Ian Eagle as their number one. Uh, Rucco's their number two. Eagle's going to do the final four, the national championship next year. Rucco uh, does the women's final four and is the lead announcer, does the WNBA finals as well. He's the number two on Yes. Uh, so New York State of Mind in the biggest basketball events. And then Mark Jackson, New York guy. Van Gundy, former Nick coach, I think New York guy as well. And then Lobo, uh, Rebecca Lobo. Um, Connecticut. Uh, and last one, you got Raftery, New Jersey guy. Grand Hill's just a superstar. Paul Famer. <laughs> no New York ties as far as I know. All right. You know what? I got to prepare myself for the DMV and uh, roll out all our, uh, you know, Scott Van Pelt and everything that from the that. Memorial at the beginning. Everyone's like, let's go. Let's get to the media stuff. Are you kidding me? Babe Ruth and Adley Rushman are in the same uh, the, the, the sentence together. Uh, last thing, you ever seen that tweet? It's like, I don't know who said it. I, I don't know who said it, but it was like about Mike Trout and Otani, and it was like every is like from like two years ago. It's like every game I see, it's like Mike Trout uh, hit three home runs, and uh, Shahei Otani uh, did the something that's never been done since Wolfgang, you know, Jim Johnson did in 1921, <laughs> and the Angels lost six to three to the Tigers. <laughs> well, Andrew Green Hill from the DMV, but he's from Virginia, of course. Oh, yeah, all right, you get one, you get one. The rest <laughs> is New York. Connecticut. <laughs> anyway, see everybody like, uh, follow, and if you have a nice comment, we appreciate it. And thank you as always, uh, AC Wyatt, Chris Mason, Chris Mason, by the South Carolina uh, grad uh, who is uh, devastated by the Final Four loss to uh, to Iowa. Sorry about that, Chris. Master of the board. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. 